this is Don Bluth, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 79, an American tale. How many bands have a thundertube? the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling, Chelsea Robinson, and Mason Smith. I love today. We're going to talk about a Don Bluth film. Don Bluth alert. Don Bluth alert. (laughs) For those of you who are new to the show, we are the Rotoscopers, and this is the Animation Addicts Podcast, the place where we talk about all things animation, past and present. We review a movie Every single episode, and we're right in the middle of our Rats and Mice series. So we're focusing on films where rats and or mice are the main characters. Last time we did The Great Mouse Detective, and this time we are doing An American Tale by the great Don Bluth slash Steven Spielberg. So pretty exciting, because we were kind of uh, Bluth hardcore fans over here. Let's just put it that way. Yep. All about that Bluth. Alright, so let's jump into our main discussion. This episode we are doing Don Bluth's film, An American Tale. We did a poll on the website and we listed a variety of different films that had mice as the main characters and this was one of the top most requested. So people out there are also Don Bluth fans and they're excited to hear us talk about it. So uh, let's go into a little history for those of the uninitiated. So Don Bluth broke away from Disney. His very first film was Secret of Dim. Now, that wasn't, like, super financially successful, but it was very critically acclaimed. Like, people really liked it. And you talk to people even today, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, Secret of Dim is fantastic. Because it is. And that's why that one will also be on our Rats and Mice series. But anyway, uh, Steven Spielberg saw the film, and he was extremely impressed as well. And he actually contacted Don, and Don was and said wanted to see if he would want to make a picture with him. So American Tale was the very first one. Um, here's a funny little tidbit. is the main character, whose name is Fifle, as we know, was actually originally was going to be Mousky Mouskowitz. But Steven Spielberg came in one day and said that his name was going to be Fifle. And Don and his team asked why. And Steven said that he'd got the name because it was the name of his Russian grandfather. He was telling this, the story of this real person who had come through Ellis Island to become one American. And Don ended up saying in an, in an interview later on that it took on a whole different color for them when it became that personal. Uh, so that was a really cool, interesting tidbit, I thought. Yeah, totally. I, I thought that was a really cool story. So it it was supposed to... Mouski, Mouskowitz. That's catchy. Oh, totally. Catchy. That's a real I, singer. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that Spielberg stepped in. And it's so cool that he had his own personal touch. This isn't just, uh you know, an animated comedy dramedy uh, about animated mice. It's it's in the background. It's actually the story, um, as it were, of, of Sp- Steven Spielberg's own grandfather is what you're saying. Who was named Fievel. And that's just cool. Yeah. That's just cool. They put their heart and soul into it. Give a little bit of heart and soul. And, um, yeah, so Amblimation, that was part of Steven Spielberg's Amblim Entertainment. And you know Amblim from, uh, you know, they made Land Before Time. They made Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then Amblimation was started in 1989. And so that was like 
their attempt at making like a strict, strict animation studio. And so technically under Amblimation, there's only three films, uh, even though Amblin uh, made animated films. So it's kind of complicated, but three films, American Tale uh, in 1991, then two years later, we're back. And then... Uh, 1995 Balto. So with this podcast, we've actually cre- uh, we've completed the Amblimation saga, unless you count the wow. television series. <laughs> That's probably the first time we've ever been able to cover all the movies that a specific studio has done. I'm I so know, impressed. We have, it is. I know, we haven't even we haven't even done Toy Story three, and we here we've done all of Amblimation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we work with know, the theme. You know what's crazy? The American. Oh yeah, we have to work with the theme. With the theme, this is like a theme within a theme. Ooh. Because we did dogs, we did dragons and dinos, and now we're doing rats. So within our our uh, Chinese zodiac, we've inadvertently done the amblimation <laughs> zodiac. Uh, that doesn't work, but you know, amblimation studios. You know what's crazy is that uh, an American Tale grossed like sixty five million, just thereabouts, and uh, it blew uh, We're Back and Balto out of the water. It was extremely successful. Maybe it was that Don Bluth touch. Ooh, that Don Bluth dazzle. The Don. Oh man, there's there's a fair amount of dazzle, Don Bluth dazzle in this film. Definitely. So yeah, if if you want to play uh, if you want to play animation studio trivia, this is Amblimation, not necessarily Amblin Entertainment, but it's all all in the same thing. What what you need to know is that it was Don Bluth directed, but Steven Spielberg co-produced it, and it has Don DeLuise in it. So what else do you need to know? Well, I have some uh, just random facts and tidbits about the release. So the budget for this film, originally Bluth agreed for a $6.5 million budget, which, you know, of course, they always grow. So it ended up being around $9 million when it all said and done, um, which is about $3 million less than what Disney was producing at the time. So, you know, that was kind of one of his selling points is that he's able to produce it cheaper. And um, it ended up making, like Mason said, it was rather successful and made $84.5 million, which was uh, quite commendable at the time. But, you know, one of the reasons why he was able to produce this uh, slightly cheaper was because the, the Sullivan Bluth studio were, were non-unionized, and so they were able to, you know, let me just read what it says. They didn't demand higher wages. Let's just say that. Yes. Well, and they did- there was only like 10 of them. Mm-hmm. At the end, it's like the animators, six of them and then six of them. So, yeah, it was a very small crew. Yeah, and since he was mostly, the studio was mostly non-union, uh, many workers attempted to withdraw from the union, which got the union upset, and there was a battle between Bluth and the union, and the, for the whole Sweet. production of the film. I know, this is typical I Don love Bluth. It. He loves to just disrupt. I mean, in the early 80s, 70s, he, he pulled away from Disney, he completely disrupted, and here he's disrupting the union, and... um it continued for the whole production of the film, and this is kind of one of the reasons why they were compelled to move the studio to Ireland, because they felt that it was much more supportive of an atmosphere to make a film without having the union constantly on your back. So, yes, that is that. That is that. When they moved the whole thing to Ireland, did they get, like, free voice acting for all the Irish mice in this film? <laughs> I think they moved the – they didn't move production of American Tale to Ireland, but future films. Gotcha. Cool. So. This holiday season, Universal Pictures brings you a very special motion picture experience. The first animated feature film presented by Steven Spielberg. 
an American tale. The story of one family's journey to America and Fievel, their son, who got lost along the way. A Don Bluth film coming this Thanksgiving. Papa. So this this was actually my first time watching an American Tale. Oh, so give us your thoughts. Well, I had watched Five Goes West when I was really young, like six years old. I barely I barely remember it. Um, I'll get, I guess I'll give my general thoughts at the end when I do my rating. But <laughs> I came into the film knowing that it was Don Bluth, and so I was excited about that. It definitely was not what I would I expected. And I went into this film dry. I had never, like, even discussed this film or the characters or, like, even read a synopsis of the plot. So I was I was, I was, was an initiate, as we say. And uh, so I was excited about that. I thought the film was going to start in space. <laughs> I rented on Amazon, and uh, <laughs> I was watching it. It did the Universal Studios logo. And it did another Universal Studios from the 80s, but it started out in space and then, and then zoomed in on the Universal logo. And I was like, wait. Is there like space mouse? <laughs> is it gonna is it gonna be like space, the final frontier? But before it was the American frontier. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You should be a filmmaker. I like your ideas. <laughs> I should. I should. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny to me because you start off and you think it's space, and then there it is space, but then there's snowflakes, and they almost look like stop motion snowflakes in a way. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, are we watching Frozen? I think we are. I think we're watching Frozen. It was just a really interesting way to start the film with these snowflakes because, like, the snowflake motif wasn't necessarily an important part of the film. It just had something to do with something at the very beginning. During It was set during winter. But uh, yes. I thought that was an interesting way to introduce the film with the floating snowflakes. Yeah, yeah. You, you said, well, you hit the nail on the head about my thoughts on the film. This film... um American Tale is very chronological and it, it flies by the seat of its pants a lot. And so, yes, it, it will have random things like, Hey, this is a snowflake. It's so magical. But the film has nothing to do with snowflakes. We just wanted to show you something cool. Yeah. Russia, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it did have that typical, um, you know, that, that classic Don Bluth intro with the, the magic stuff. And then the choir in the back is like, Ooh. <laughs> You know, well, I don't know if that's typically the Don Bluth chorus, everyone. I don't know if that's typically him, but it is James Horner. Like yeah. a lot, of, a lot of the things that come in because James Horner, this was this was obviously the first time that they'd worked with him, but they went on to work with him later on for, as we all know and love, the Land Before Time, as well as other things. But right. like it, it's so distinctly him. And I, the moment it started, I'm like. Oh, this is, I, I feel like this is a James Horner. And it was. It made me happy. So you are so smart with those music facts. Like, I, I hardly know anything about music in animated film. Well, honestly, I've, I haven't really begun to pay attention until I started doing the podcast. And then I started, you know, yeah. adding in all of the music for all the different movies. And, you know, because <laughs> you go through, you have to listen to all of them. And you're like, you, you know, you start picking up right. on some things. And she also became, right. you know, dubbed the, official music person. Right. So, so now I really had to know her stuff. <laughs> well, that's true. And, you and sing you're, songs? You're all... You must love everything about music. 
Oh, <laughs> like, okay, I have to, I have to keep up with track sounds. They're a lot cooler than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Don Bluth film. If you notice in the opening credits, it says Don Bluth about twenty times. <laughs> I mean, it really is his film. Yeah. Score. I mean, we get it already. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And there's Dom DeLuise. I saw him in the credits, so I was like, oh, I, I knew that Tiger was voiced by Dom DeLuise because I remember um, Tiger's character from uh, Five Logos West. So I was excited about that. Did you know Did you know on uh, Don Bluth's Wikipedia page, there's a, a chart that has all of his go-to people and, and if they're included in each Don Bluth film? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Dom DeLuise is, is, is one of the rows, and on the columns it has all the movies, and he's like in like all of them. <laughs> But yeah, that's it's it's worth a look. But who doesn't love Dom? He's so great. He really is. I was this time I was listening to like his laugh, and it's just so funny because he's like, <laughs> he's just oh, like so shallow. You know what's, so, what's so great about him? What's so great about him is that he cracks himself up all the yeah. time, and it makes him laugh even more. It, it makes us laugh, and so everybody's just laughing and carrying on about this vegetarian cat, you know. <laughs> So yeah, the music was great. And then uh, you get this wasn't the most okay, on a on a dazzle scale of 1 to dazzle. <laughs> I say this is more of a more of a razzle frazzle than a dazzle. 1 to Anastasia. You know, yeah, on on our scale of 1 to Rockadoodle, there's not a whole lot of dazzle, but it is in some scenes. A lot of You know the that snow typical, you know, it. shine a light through the cell and yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a couple of scenes like when Fievel is on, um, he's he's in the glass bottle floating on the ocean, and he has that huge moment where he sees the Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. in all its pre-green goodness, and uh, there's a ton of dazzle out on that you know golden shore of New York City. It's true. That's one of the things. I mean, we've talked about this before, but this Don Bluth dazzle. I know we say it jokingly, but it really he has a feel to his films in the way that you know sometimes he's able to create sort of this feeling of you know, texture or light in the air and just the way that it's reflecting off the people. Yeah. He really went for like making magic, a magical film. Mm -hmm. And, and his, his shtick was always uh, for family friendly entertainment. We've like argued this on several episodes about how family friendly his movies are. It's like, you know, when people talk about there was a glimmer in his eye, you know, there was a twinkle in his eye. Well, every, all of his films are just a twinkle, in the eye of the film. Yeah. Am I getting too poetic for you guys? <laughs> but it, that's what I'm trying to say. Is it's got this like twinkly magical quality. Mm-hmm. And you can you can it's a dead giveaway that that's Don Bluth. One of my favorite so, things is if you ever go and listen to the audio commentary on any of the DVDs that they've had oh, yes. come in, so funny, so so funny. But like most of the time, he ends up talking about. The lighting, the texturing, how they're, how he puts it, the larger studios were not doing this type of thing at that point because it was too expensive. But we didn't. We found the way to get around that. <laughs> the quote unquote larger yeah. studios. Yes. <laughs> There's only one at that point. So I only really remember two parts from this movie when I think about it. It's the very beginning where the family is together and they're, you know, talking and whatnot. And then the song somewhere out there. And I guess in my mind, I thought those were the same scene because I thought that somewhere out there, the song was sung very early in the film. So as I was watching, I was very surprised that it wasn't until more of the middle. But man, I really don't remember anything from this movie. I mean, I hadn't watched it in 10 plus 15 plus years, and it just wasn't one that I owned or, uh, you know, really had an affinity for that I wanted to watch it all the time. So it was interesting to watch it, this perspective, knowing the basics about the movie, 
but not necessarily knowing how it was going to get there. That was kind of me too. I mean, you had mentioned um, that you often remember like the opening of the credits and everything. I'd never remembered any of the opening when it was starting. I was like, have I ever seen this movie? I know (laughs) I have, but I don't remember this at all. And the scenes that I remember are the ones with the bird. Um, I didn't even remember (laughs) at all the secret weapon. I just no like there's just so many parts that I had no idea and like the whole time I'm thinking where wasn't supposed to, wasn't Tiger supposed to be in this where's Tiger <laughs> right I had it was the same thing I grew up watching this the sequel and I knew that one by heart I love that movie and um yeah so this one it was I'd remembered parts of it but I was like oh okay something kind of new ish but not. So we start out and we see the Moskowitz family and, you know, we see the, the title over their door and, and then, oh, humans. Oh, zoop. nope. This isn't about humans. Camera pan down. And so you go down to mice level and you see that, no, we're not going to learn about the Moskowitz family. We're going to learn about the Mouskowitz family. And this is funny because this is something that they typically do in animated films about mice. Um, I know originally they wanted the film to be sort of set in an all anthropomorphic world, sort of like Robin Hood, but rather I think Don Blue suggested, well, did you see the rescuers and the rescuers, they kind of live underneath the humans and I think we should do it that way. And that's what they ultimately did. And the same year that this movie came out a few months prior, um, the great mouse detective came out and right. they used the exact same uh, you know, world underneath the world mechanic, which has really become sort of instrumental to mice film. And it makes sense because they're so small and they live in holes and walls. I mean, they could have a world with that, you know, of their own that sort of mimics and mirrors our own. But <laughs> it's just funny that um that was the way that they took it. And I like it. You know, it shows that you may be paying attention to the world you're a part of, but there's other things, you know, below you or around you that you if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss. Yeah, totally. So it, it is very great mouse detective, you know, where it, I wouldn't say it's quite rescuers because in rescuers, they had direct contact with the humans and they like they were involved in the affairs of muggles. Mm-hmm. I mean, humans. And um, and then in this one, they just it's just kind of a parallel story. Yeah. I mean, besides getting hosed down by the fire hoses that mice don't really they don't really interact with the humans, I guess. Oh, no, except for that one part. Oh, where she's like... <laughs> Oh my word, a mouse! <laughs> yeah. That one part. That was a uh, so, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. You don't like mice. And um, so, yeah, the little Mousekowitz family, I guess it's Hanukkah. That's what I overheard. They're exchanging gifts. Okay, because I was confused because I was like, why is everyone getting a gift? It's like Oprah. You in Russia, the gifts everyone get- <laughs> In Russia, it's tradition to have a gift exchange every night. Well, there we go. And tonight's, so you got the hat and um, the what did the girl get? The bonnet, yes. Kind of a bonnet. Yeah. 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 The Russian bonnet. There's, there's a little bit of Russian culture that's going on here because yeah because it's hanukkah so everybody's given gifts uh he gets his little hat which has been passed down by generations oh and the first thing he says he like complains about it what does he say <sighs> he's such a little snot he's like it's too big <laughs> <laughs> he's okay. like well you're growing to it comrade i don't know in america so they have holes in all the walls <laughs> yeah yeah and then um I don't know. The audio for this film is kind of crazy, but 
There's like this random part for five seconds before the cats show up where like I think it's the Cossacks come in and they just start shooting people and there's there's a couple of people who get shot on camera. And I don't know if Don Blue thought that we would notice, but I noticed. <laughs> so anyway, it's just a little bit of uh Eastern European strife going on, and of course, here come the cats. And my gosh. Those are no ordinary cats. <laughs> they're like pumped up on t- some type of, they're I don't like know, <laughs> crazy. Death, they're clearly, like Terminator cats. It's true. Clever clearly never been to Russia because of that's how Russian cats roll. Well, I wanted a Russian blue for forever. Now I'm having second thoughts. <laughs> but I mean, those cats are like, I don't know. Those are like the cats I imagine like Oakland Raiders fans owning. And then, um, and then they're just horrible. They want to eat all the mice and they're all slobbery and they don't even sound like cats. They sound like lions, which but, are cats. Yeah. They don't sound like, you know, kitty kitties. Yeah. The snarls were the most terrifying part. Ooh, snarls indeed. So speaking of cats, like as they're, you know, right before this happens, they're singing songs of, there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. And, yeah, exactly. That's it's really funny because this is one of those rumors that people hear, you know, in you know the hearsay. I'm a, a, an ocean separates us, so I can't really verify. But that's what I've heard. But so are cats? Is it a literal thing? I mean, I know it is literal. They think there are no cats in America, but uh. is this also supposed to be you know figurative of something? Well, at that that time, you know, that was something that was really. It's, you know, spot on about this movie is like what you were saying. Like everybody's got a cousin in America and everybody's has received these letters about how amazing America is. And so they're just, they pump it up in their mind thinking this is the end all place. And, you know, it's in that same interview that I was talking about earlier, it said that Don Bluth made it a point and he said like anybody who has ever hoped for the American dream knows exactly what it means for there to be quote, no cats in America. And they know exactly what kind of cheese they would hope that their streets would be paved with. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it was, it was a really good metaphor. I thought, cause it's just like, that's exactly what everybody is hoping for, this perfect world where everything is, I guess, in in some way, they it could you could see it as everything is, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. But at the same time, like, it was a lot better than, you know, other areas at that time. You know, one of the biggest things is, like, you can say whatever you want anywhere. And, at you know, they're like, don't say cat. Don't say that. Don't say that. But you can go to America and you can say that. And that's not something you, you can, you're going to ever be, you know, cut off for when, which in that period of time in those areas, it was. And yeah, it talks about the, that this film is very palatable for children, you know, because, you know, it also, they're able to understand the fact that there's no cats in America. It's that, that both literal and figurative spot. Yeah. I think what it was is that they're cats. If you go online, you can find like, debates on imdb some say that the cats were meant to be communists i don't necessarily agree that that was the symbol he was going for but i think what it comes down there to there are that, no communists in america oh what a great song <laughs> great. the classics the classics someone, uh, someone should make a, never mind. <laughs> yeah and um this is like the mccarthy version of <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so no cats in America. So I guess it's because the cats are the the major obstacle to the survival and success of these of these uh, you know these little mices. 
These mice, like in uh, Secret of Nim, mm-hmm. and uh, well, it's like there's no problems in America. Cats are the, our biggest problem are the cats, and right. the cheese that we want is our. You know, it's that's the American dream. That's no, there's no obstacles, and we have all everything is in front of us, all of the opportunity. Mm, I prefer aged cheddar. And Havarti uh, is actually me. my favorite. Oh well, pretty good. I like how the cats get significantly less menacing as the film goes on. Because by the time Fievel goes down the drain and stumbles upon the cat bar, you know, the marauders, mm-hmm. they're like, they're not like savage, horrible beasts, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just crooks. They're just like gangsters. Anyway. I didn't notice that, but like, I kind of like that. I mean, just how you're talking about the, that this film kind of goes by the seat of its pants a lot and just kind of evolves. It's like... <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. It just evolves on itself. Throughout yeah, the whole you can kind of see it as though it's coming from Feifel. It's from his outlook. And so everything, the whole world will evolve around you as you grow and as you learn more. Yeah. I like when they're on the boat. And uh, for one, mice always have to step in time to some like imaginary or otherwise beat. <laughs> Did you notice that? Like when yeah. Fievel first hooks up with that crook mouse, you know, who's not really a mouse. Ah, spoiler alert. Sorry. And um, and they're, they're marching off and it's like, who's playing the music? Because they're just like stepping in time. Best buddies. Barely know this guy. Fievel has stranger issues. <laughs> he he has, did not learn stranger danger. Right. He did not. Maybe they didn't teach that in in uh, in Mother Russia. Um, I also like when they're on the ship, they're singing, you know, no cats in America, blah, blah, blah. I like how all the mice from all their different countries have like these elaborate like sets built all of a sudden and costumes, et cetera, for the song, like on a boat. Did they just bring it all? Was there like a playwright mouse? Oh, they like knew there was going to be a big song. I know, because the Spanish, the Italian mouth is like, with the cats in the Maya country, you know, and then there's like this elaborate set and stuff. It's really gruesome, though. Like, each one of them are talking about how, yes, I woke oh, up. the and Irish I was, guy. Well, the yeah. I, all of them, though. Like, yeah. is when, when the dad comes up and he's just like, yes, and then I woke up and I was an orphan. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> But these yeah. were all like the the problems that were very involved in their life. I'm like, yes, cats are problems. <laughs> this movie's real, yo. <laughs> it's, it's real, dog. Straight up, G. So, okay, moving on to we let's talk about like the characters. Um, yeah. Obviously, the film, the future film, is named after the main character, Fievel. Um, Did you like him? Did you find him endearing? Did you like him as a main character? Nope. They tried too hard with him. Hey, this film is real. I'm going to be real. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't warm up to him. I warmed up to the dad, though. Yeah, you know what's weird is that I kind of uh, emoted more with the dad than with Fievel. Like, okay, Fievel's story is a, is a, is a sobby story. But and he did it to himself. He did it to himself because he was a little chump. And um, <laughs> maybe because I learned Stranger Danger. I don't know. The, the whole conflict of him being lost is very frustrating to me watching this film because they did it in this kind of willy-nilly way. Like, on the one hand, you've got your, your typical Don Bluth theme of putting main characters through horrific mortal danger constantly for about 80 minutes. And this is supposed to be a kid's movie. And then on the other hand, um, the, the whole structure of, of him having lost his parents is so frustrating because there are scenes when he's literally like three feet away from his parents... And all they had to do is like turn around, but it's like, nope, they're just going to walk past each other because they're being blocked by this 
rickshaw that's being pulled or a wagon. I don't know. You, you know what I mean? There's several situations where Fievel's looking for his parents and like one story up are his fa- is his family. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, down down true. below where he's walking is his family looking for him. And and they keep that going and then um I mean I've got pacing I've got problems with the pacing of the of the ending. Um but it, it's just kind of this tease. Maybe I don't like being teased. Maybe I have teasing issues. issues. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I like the dad, though. The dad was very, like, squash and stretchy. He was very, like, he was like a nice Stromboli. (laughs) He was like um, a nice Stromboli that that probably bathed more. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. a lot because he's a rat. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because in the designs of the film, they typically, you know, the film prior was a lot more angular, a little bit more modern of a design, but they specifically went back to the very rounded Disney, you know, designs of the 30s and 40s, you know, Pinocchio. I mean, I remember just recently I was watching something and it was going back and forth between Sleeping Beauty and Pinocchio. And Pinocchio, wow, because everything's super round and cuddly and and just lovable in a way. It really contrasted with Sleeping Beauty and some of the later films. But um, that was a style choice that they did for this movie. They kind of wanted to create a, a nostalgia because baby boomers at the time were were very nostalgic for things of their past and their childhood. And it worked well because it, it endeared audiences to the design. And he actually got praises um, from critics throwing back to that old school style. So I thought it was was interesting that that was uh, one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, it is funny how they went with different character design because Secret of Nim was... Wasn't it pretty much the the movie before this one? Yes. As far as Don Bluth goes, yeah, and the character designs and and stuff are so are so different. Yes. So that's yeah, that's definitely that was something I noticed. I was like, hmm, there's not a lot of nim nimness <laughs> going on here. <laughs> Nobody's nimming. <laughs> but it still feels very Don Bluth. When I was watching, I was like, yep, these are his designs. These are his it characters. Does. It does. Yeah. Const- constant mortal danger. A lot of effort went into the animation because um, around that time, television was doing a lot of what's called limited animation. And that's kind of a broad term, but it basically means like very cheaply done animation where you're reusing a lot of cells and um, you use a lot of blur effects to get from pose A to pose B. Like Tex Avery and Chuck Jones did it a lot. And um, not not necessarily a bad thing as far as like Looney Tunes is concerned because it worked for them, but... Don Bluth tried to wanted to make it a point that they were really putting a lot of work into this. I think there's a story about him him like showing a stack of TV cells and it only went so high up, and then he stacked up all the cells and, and drawings um, of a similar sequence in for um, American Tale, and it went up to his head or something. It was like yeah, I remember really tall. That. It was like Don Bluth's very short, so <laughs> keep that in mind. But <laughs> uh, but it was a uh, significantly more work. I guess Don Bluth can also be known for his effort. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's like a common theme, which is a ton of effort into these films. But at the same time, trying to trying to make it cheaper and making it appealing to producers that way. Mm-hmm. Very complicated guy. We should get him on another interview. Let's definitely. Be like, say, Donnie. <laughs> We're a lot better interviewers now. We have better sound quality. <laughs> yes. Okay, so they're on the ship. They're on the and ship, and Fievel has to go after his hat. Ugh, he throws it out there. It's his own fault. What a jerk. Oh, this is what got me frustrated. That's why I don't feel so much remorse for him because I'm like, you did it to yourself. There's this crazy storm and you purposely went out there. Um, good luck. (laughs) We don't, we don't know the age conversion from mouse years, um, for Fievel. How old is he supposed to be? He seems five or six. Because he also has this, 
Yeah, yeah. He also has this line where he's like, fishes! You know, so he remembers his dad's conversation. I was wondering where that conversation was going in that one scene. And so he goes off to find the fishes, and boy, does he go swimming with the fishes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess it's that, but he, he was also a little chump, but he's like, I'm looking for my hat! You know, he just throws <laughs> it off the boat. Oh, my gosh. Then we get trippy. Yeah. Get real trippy, because those waves turn into, uh, like, night on Bald Mountain mm-hmm. <laughs> waves. Well, apparently it was supposed to be even more gruesome and a bit more hardcore, but it was cut back because it was deemed too scary. And I'm like, well, they they kind of went there. I wish they would have just were, kept going there. The edge. It was interesting because for the most part, this film's pretty, I mean, I understand the characters are mice, but it's pretty realistic in what it pushes as far as, you know, the boundaries of physics and whatnot. But, uh... That was just kind of the allegory, sort of the 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 devil from All Dogs Go to Heaven. You know, yes. he likes to have things that are very figurative. Oh yeah, that I guess. guy. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought of that, and like a creepy Fantasia. Yeah, and also um, creepy like owl prophecy guy in Secret of Nim. Ah yes, Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. Nicodemus, right? No, not Nicodemus. Nicodemus is pretty creepy too, but yeah, the yeah, owl. yeah. There's like there's like freaky characters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought I was pretty I was pleasantly surprised at that, and that was all like 2D animated. So that like cool water demon effect um, effort. Effort right there. And so, um, Fievel's dad's behavior after he gets lost, it's, sorry, I shouldn't be so hard on him. Maybe this is his way of coping with it, but he just kind of like switches it off. He's just like, Fievel's gone. He's gone. You know, the sister's like, I don't know. I still have a feeling, you know, that Fievel could be out there. And the mom's like, it'll go away. Don't worry. It has for us. <laughs> oh. We've already, we're already thinking about having other kids. And, um, I don't know, but not quite, but the dad's just like, he's gone. There are thousands of Fievel Mouskowitz in New York City. The dad like, is very much like Basil, oh, where he's oh, a roller coaster emotionally. Oh, ye of little faith. Yeah, totally. And, um, I love immigration. They're like, what's your name again? Okay, Mr. Smith. And I'm like, hey, thanks, careless immigration people. Now we'll, we'll never get our genealogy done. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, um, what do they change the, the daughter's name to something else? Tilly. Right, so she's no longer Tanya. How hard is Tanya? And then, um, <laughs> exactly. There's even more madness that ensues because Fievel and his stranger danger issues shows up an orphan on the shores of new york city the first person he meets is a total stranger and he lets him take him to his house and bathe him so fievel um you got you've been really lucky this whole film Mm -hmm. you're lucky it's a lovable french bird and not like a creepazoid a a bird who's like building the statue of liberty did i miss something in history yeah i I was kind of lost at that well, he was supposed to be representative of the kind of the artist who built the Statue of Liberty, but he's supposed to be the, yeah. the you know the mice world's version. So the Statue. Then how of come Liberty, he didn't make a mouse of Liberty? Well, he was making something else, wasn't he? <laughs> he wasn't making a Statue of Liberty. He, I thought he was making another statue. No, I thought it was the Statue of Liberty. No, I thought he was just like, overseeing it. <laughs> there was a little. Like, I gotta, I gotta make sure this. Gets I thought done. there was a little statue to the side that he was constructing. Oh, maybe I totally missed it. Yeah, because it was like covered in like. Well, it should, yeah, it's French because the. Oui, oui, I am Henry. Yeah, the because the um, sculptor of the Statue of Liberty is Frederick August Bartholdi, and so he was supposed to kind of be like their version, like everything in our world parallels their world, kind of, and he was okay, just so their he, version. Right, he was working on his own mousy statue then, right? Or yes. animal statue. Okay, I, I totally didn't catch that. Maybe I was on my potty break at, at that point. Yeah, so he shows up, and uh, it's a good thing 
Henry is such a nice guy, and then he tell, teaches him to never say never. Which uh, is a funny song in itself, but uh, definitely I feel like Justin Bieber got some inspiration from uh, those lyrics because he totally yeah. ripped off Don Bluth. Yeah. Totally Little Beebs did. definitely grew up with American <laughs> Tail then. Mm-hmm. I doubt that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they have American Tail in Canada. Can you can you watch movies about America in Canada? Anyway, um and then and then there's the bird bimbets that show up. The the French pigeon ladies. <laughs> they were the original bimbets. Oh, which like, speaking of bimbets, there are if you see the Book of Life, there are uh, bimbets in that bimbetas. movie. Yes, there's there's probably about bimbetas. four or five of them, um, opposed to just the three. But they're the ones who are like fawning over the hero and very disappointed when he's getting married or whatnot. <laughs> over El El Gran Channing Tatum. Yeah. All right. Cool. So yeah, we got uh, bird bimbets. And then um, things happen so fast. It's like it, it feels like the very next scene, he falls and he lands right in the lap, basically, of a bad guy, Mouse, Warren T. Rat. And he basically gives a, gives away his whole life when he's like, I hate losing money. <laughs> 50 cents. That ain't good. We need more rats. He's like a racketeering guy. Mm-hmm. What's cool is so many parts of this really do mirror how it was in that time. And sure. Like, you know, just the fact that there were so many people out there, hey, this ticket was only to Chicago was only used once. Ooh, whoa, look, only once? That's amazing. <laughs> you get this apple, get it before I eat it. <laughs> and just like all of these trying to make money off of the, you know, fresh off the boat people. And, you know, yeah. you had definitely that happened all the time. And, you know, even later on, there's a story about how, you know, when Feifel is walking around, he's he's just walking around kind of lost and he appears into this window, this little classroom. And that was actually a story that Steven Spielberg uh, had remembered about his own grandfather telling him that the Jewish kids were only allowed to listen to the school lessons through the open windows while sitting outside in the snow. And that was, I think that was while in Russia. Um, that's, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that was just one of those things that they like brought into these, making it real, making it something that, you know, I don't, there weren't that many people who were still around <laughs> who would remember this. They would remember their grandparents telling them this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so this is where the, this is where I started like watching the film and kept watching. I was like, golly, things are happening so fast. Like, I, I got, I got nothing. I can't tell what the story is going to be about because, uh, it's opened up so many things. So evil rat, um, French bird trying to find his parents and trying to make it in America. And it's like, He's like, sure, I'll find your family. Then he's like two floors below his family. Throws him into the the workhouse and and uh, and I'm like, oh crap! So the whole film is it's going to be like a I thought it was going to be like an Oliver Twist thing where he has to kind of rise up in the ranks of the orphan workers and but no, he just gets out <laughs> after about yeah. two minutes. Easy. I was <laughs> well, like, well, I've had enough. Let's climb down. Well, they're bring, he's bringing in the fairy tale aspect of it. So this is something that I didn't catch until I actually I ended up rewatching the beginning segment again after the whole thing, and then in the very beginning segment he talks about the two fairy tales. One is Rapunzel, and the second okay. is the the mouse, the giant mouse story. Oh, the mink mouse of yeah, mink the mouse of mink or whatever. Yeah, and so those he brings back 
as those are the, his saving graces through his trials, which I thought was kind of a stretch. And I didn't really notice that until after and had watched it a second time. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So we got the fairy tale aspect. So he, he tangles his way down, um, the, the side of the building, but not before he picks up another annoying character. Domi. Ugh. Hey, Philly. <laughs> yeah. He's like the guy from We're Back. Where is he but... supposed to be from? He's literally a mouse version of that kid from We're Back. He's, from, remember he's from Philly, that kid. Tony. Oh no, the kid from uh, We're Back. Yeah. Tony does very little to help, help things. Like he pretty much gets mixed up with uh, the Irish girl, and Which, in, a, in a neck break romance that totally outdid Disney. <laughs> so that is something that Don Bluth did outdo Disney with with this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that all it takes to get the girl? I mean, bam, love at first sight, and you know, normally guys like that, when girls like that, the guys have a hard time because she's way out of his league. But for some reason, she's into this guy, and I don't quite get it. But uh well yeah. everyone everyone thinks that she's crazy. So maybe that made her a little desperate. She's finally like somebody likes me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like Meet the Robinsons. They all think I'm crazy. I I think you're right. And she's like, oh, "You'll be my husband," you know? Yeah. Um it was kind of one of those one of those situations. But he didn't really care. He's just like, "Hey, let's all get together." <laughs> you know, he's he's under his love spell. You know, my And um these, those two voices bothered that, me though. Oh my gosh, that His that voice, scene where they're like yeah. they're like five second courtship. And it was just and, like I don't get it. Yeah, no, but her voice also she's like kind of Irish, but then not. Like that bothered me. I've never me. been. I've never been, so I can't judge her accent. But it <laughs> but was kind. It was kind of funky, wasn't it? It was. It was like only Irish on like a couple till tilde things, and then it would go straight into like a normal, a normal American almost. Maybe she just has been there for a while, or she's second generation. I don't know. But yeah. like his voice, it was like okay. That the Bronx, Brooklyn, like accent didn't come for like a hundred years the way you're doing it. <laughs> and hers, it's like, no, you, you're not full Irish. Why are you, I don't get it. These are the things. Hey, maybe them. she's half Irish. I just like, uh, Fievel's line. Tony, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. What okay. was wrong with Tony? That guy was just a typical tough guy. And, um, he's like the, yeah, like we mentioned, he's like the Dodger from Oliver and Company or, you know, Oliver Twist mixed with the kid from We're Back. No kidding. And then, uh, and then we're whisked away to another location. So we, we open up this new character who is, um, from what I can tell, he's like a corrupt, like rat politician Honest committing John. some, committing some good old mouse voter fraud <laughs> with dead mice. There's a dead, there's, there's, as the lady said, there's a dead wet on the table. Oh, there's a dead accent. mouse on the table. And but, then we got that lady. There's just so many new things so quickly well, in this maybe film. Maybe that's what it was when, you know, at this time, there were so many immigrants coming from different areas and places. You know, it was just a big hodgepodge of, of accents. Quite, we hadn't what quite is, honed in on what became the norm. But what is she? Is she, is she, is, is that supposed to be Asian? I think she just has a, I just think she has a speech impediment. <laughs> uh, very well. Very well. All right. And, uh, so we're introduced to all these characters and he, he doesn't know his pa- parents because they don't vote and, and that's it. And then the lady wants to have a wowie. <laughs> I think they just want an excuse to have a character that talks like that. 
See, I, it shows. I would take up an excuse to have a character <laughs> talk like that. She was cool. I was okay with her voice. She actually was awesome. <laughs> we have a plan. A secret weapon. The whole thing gets mixed up in this confrontation with the cats and... Um, they're gonna get their freedom, so it's a it's a side plot to um, Fievel finding his family. Uh, so Fievel's kind of living with Tony and his girlfriend or whatever, and he has his um, "Hey Mr. Moon" song. <laughs> That's what it was supposed to be, right? Before it was um, <laughs> somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah, somewhere out there. Yeah. Did you notice how the moon uh, dramatically rises from below the horizon while he's singing? Singing. I did. But I like noticed- five seconds, five seconds before that, it, the moon was like blatantly in the middle of the sky. <laughs> hey, it's all they about wanted perspective. To show, they wanted to show off the animation, okay? Cool effects. I, I totally get you. Maybe I'm just super proud of myself for pointing out a continuity error for once. <laughs> the, the song wasn't very memorable to me. Maybe because I, I don't like Fievel's little squeaky singing voice. You know, I was surprised that they actually, you know, kept with it. They didn't get, you know, a Broadway actor, a Broadway performer to sing his voice and make it perfect. I mean, he was still squeaky. He was still perfect in in the fact that he was true to his character, and he wasn't on tune. He wasn't necessarily hitting those high notes. And Don't, you know, at do first you think I that was, was like, just to lay the cuteness on, though. I to, think like, so, but I think on. it works. I actually kind of liked it, and I, it might be distracting and annoying to some people, but I thought that they were very authentic in presenting the song. Yeah, right. I, I saw it that way. I mean, definitely, if I were looking at it as like listening. In a soundtrack, it's kind of, it hits you off guard. You're like, uh, yeah. Um, but watching it in the movie, it works because it is him. Yeah. So you got to give him credit for that. Him. And you got to, got to give, um, you know, Don Bluth, Sullivan, whatever studios for, uh, really trying to bring in the pathos with Fievel. Like they really want you to, they really, he, they're really trying to make him break your hearts. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, they have to because he's going to be their logo for the next 10 years. That's true. <laughs> so the sister doesn't really, besides being like the only mouse with common sense who's like, hey, I, I really think we should look for him, you know. Um, they don't really expand on her character much. They expanded it a lot more in Five Goes West, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. She gets caught up in in a, in a road show run by cats. And so there's that conflict. <laughs> Ooh. Who's well, girl you left behind? Da, 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 da. It's a great song. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're we're very much more into the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it was better. I'm sorry, well, it was. Yeah, I, I think a lot of I, I think a lot of parts from the sequel really expanded and improved on this first movie. Yeah, well, because we were so we were stuck with Fievel in this film. Like we could visit the family here and there, but they chose this to be his story. Right. And so for the most part, we focused just on him. And the sister is an interesting character, surprisingly. Um, but we don't explore that until the next film, which actually makes the next film better because she was kind of a character that you liked, but you didn't get that much time with her. And so we expand her in the second one. Yeah. And that's a great move when you're making a sequel. And it it was pretty smart of them, I guess, to not expand that much on her so they could, I mean, I'm sure they weren't making an American tale with the thought in mind that they were going to make a sequel out of it. But it, it all worked out. I did like that they, in Five Goes West, they expanded on the sister. Which Don Bluth had nothing to do with. FYI. He'll let you know. FYI. FYI I did not. Know. Yes. <laughs> I did not have anything to do with it. So um, they have this crazy plan to destroy the cats. And uh, I would be extremely creeped out if one night I looked out my window 
and I just see a line of marching mice carrying candles <laughs> into a shack. And I'm like, honey, we're moving out. <laughs> we're going to go stay in the country because <laughs> this place is really freaky. <laughs> very cool. Very cool scene. And um, mice are quite the engineers. You know, they create a, a, a pretty... Well, it fooled the rest of the mice. They're they're robot replica of the Queen of England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then they make this like they make this like Godzilla mouse um, to scare away the cats, and uh, pretty in- industrious. It's they true. know what's up. And hey, they did sew Cinderella's dress in like less than five hours. Real, I need to get myself some Leave mice the helpers. Sewing. Leave the sewing to the women. You go get some trimming. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things to say when when Shanna's uh, using her sewing machine. <laughs> sure, she I get, I get a good that. eye roll. <laughs> I get a good eye roll out of it. So well, they, it's not like they force the girl mice to sew. <laughs> well, no, they're just saying, anyway. okay, guys, you can't handle sharp objects. Leave it to us. <laughs> okay, I guess that's what they were saying. Yeah. So they're making this big, huge thing. And I love how all Five All had to do was go with Tony into the shack and find his parents. But no, he's like, hey, what's that? Falls down a sewer, gets into any even more trouble. Well, yeah, at that uh, Okay, here's a funny thing. When I'm listening to this, I hear the, the music and I'm like, Morgan needs to pull out her violin. I want to hear Morgan's version oh, that's of right. this song. I mean, the violin, which I haven't touched in 10 years. Yeah, I'm Mrs. sure that's going to sound great. This is Carnegie Hall over there. It's true. Uh, um, just pulls in too many directions. Yeah. Isn't able to focus. <laughs> it's all right. We we still have to make the Rotoscopers band. It's going to be amazing. Though. We have enough uh, yodelers, harmonica players, violinists, guitarists, and budding hip-hop artists, that's me, uh, <laughs> to make a, a pretty solid group. <laughs> Yeah. How many bands how many bands incorporate the Thunder Tube? All the hipster <laughs> bands are gonna copy us after this. It's true. That and the theremin. After our EP. Oh, the theremin is great. I can pull in my melodic saw as well. You have a what? Woohoo! My mom has a, a melodic saw. A, a saw, or, saw. A, or a sock. Saw, S-A-W. Like a... Yep, (laughs) like like I'm cutting down a tree with this saw. And it is imbued with melodic powers? (laughs) It is. Sorcery. (laughs) It'll be a great band that we put together, that's for sure. So what I want to know is how did Tiger get mixed up with with these marauders, Mott Street marauders? He's a vegetarian, and how does he get away with being the tough guy? He's the it's not Bruce like before there was Bruce. Right, he is the Bruce before. <laughs> I never knew my father. <laughs> but it, that was a horrible Bruce. But anyway, um, <laughs> but like, it's not like in the film they're like, oh, it's Tiger, the wussy cat. We have to put up with him, you know? It's not like he's like the, he's not like, um, oh, the two-headed dragon, the reason that cousins shouldn't marry from um, uh, Quest for Camelot. They're like outcast dragons that no one likes. It's not like Tiger's the guy that no one likes. They're not like, oh, Tiger, you screwed up again, you know? <laughs> He's a regular guy. It's true. So it's totally unexpected. It's totally surprising when we find out that he's um, that he's a vegetarian cat. I love the part where he's like, do you know what I love? I love broccoli. <laughs> that was, was like, <laughs> That's this right. is a public service announcement right there. Kids Brought to you by Dom DeLuise. It was the 80s. It's true. Yeah, they were trying to brainwash kids uh, back then, in a lot less subtle ways, at least. But yeah, the blatant vegetable PSAs. <laughs> Dom, Dom DeLuise is so great. It is, yeah. 
He'll always be my Kusuma Goopa Goop from Dexter's Lab. I wish they would have put him into the story sooner. Throughout well, he the entire, is a, like I said before, like the entire time, I'm like, when are they bringing Tiger into this whole thing? Not to, I, I hate to keep bringing up the sequel, but he, he is a he is a big deal in the sequel. He is he, he's deal, like yeah. hanging around with them time. Yeah. Well, I think okay. they realized how successful of a character he was. Right. Yeah. We and should so, do the do the sequel next. Episode. We're gonna have we're gonna have Don DeLuise month. So we find out this is so creative slash weird. So we find out that Warren T. Rat is actually moonlighting as a rat because he's actually a cat. He's not a rat. He's a cat. It's pretty ingenious, though. Yeah. It's like, oh, never mind the nose. What are you, you going to believe? My word or your own eyes? <laughs> Were they really fooled by... I mean, is he a really small cat? Or are he they just be, really stupid? <laughs> he must be one of those low-on-brawn, high-on-brains kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it he's was the, pretty He's the ringleader, see? Yeah, see? He was getting a lot of money for doing nothing. Give me all your money and the kid. And no one gets hoit. And then he he's like, all right. Cats don't want to pay me. I'm going to burn them all down. <laughs> Very sinister. I like how it just has a match on him. There was this, like, super tedious moment where they're trying to unleash their secret weapon. <laughs> the lady has to give the signal, like, three times. She does it too early. She does it too... Yeah. And they're like, not till the ship horn. And then the ships are... Everybody's panicking because the ship is already sailing. And, I, and I, this whole time I'm like, oh, it's apparently bad that the ship is moving away from the dock. But but why is it bad? What's <laughs> what's its game? <laughs> what part does the ship have? But, oh, I'm panicking anyway. Well, you know, at this point in time when the, when the you know, mouse, com- the giant mouse comes out, I honestly thought I was watching a backsheet film. Like, just how they oh, yeah. animated everything there. Yeah, total rotoscoped in there. I was like, what is this? It was a bit bizarre. It, where it, it fell out of place. Mm-hmm. How else? But then I was like, animate- "Oh, maybe it's just Don Bluth doing his dazzle again, and it, you know, shrouding it in in filters." Don Bluth dazzle. How else are you going to animate a giant, like three story devil rat? And it, I guess it's supposed to be like, yeah, super super scary, and that definitely does not make it look anywhere close to warm and cuddly. So, yeah, I guess that would be a good implement, like. A good use of the Bakshi style, but the Bakshi style. That's yeah. Just, <laughs> hey, I say that you know exactly what I mean. I'm getting post traumatic stress from uh, <laughs> watching The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I gotta, we gotta rewatch that. Anyway, no, we don't. Um, no, oh, we we don't. don't. Okay. okay. So just they just Mason and I. <laughs> so they just aim them down the dock and they just chase him. And uh, I like how the cats are like, I can't swim. Let's grab onto this anchor. You know, and it's like, hey, you can jump from the anchor back on the docks. But no, they're headed for Hong Kong. He's like, there's there's plenty of rats in Hong Kong. Hey, I wonder how you say trust me in Chinese. <laughs> and that dumb cockroach of his. Yeah, that was a bit unnecessary, I thought. Who's who's worse, chicken axe thing or... Um, or Let me the, just stop you right there. Chicken axe thing. Okay, so the, the roach, the electrical roach bookie, who's kind of like that bat from Fern Gully, who's got like a thing, static electricity problem going on. He really needs to ground himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we got all that. But it's like, I don't know. I thought it was interesting how the bad guy gets defeated, but he doesn't die or get imprisoned or get chased off forever like Captain Hook. He just lives to see another day, and he goes off to spread his his depravity to another part of the world. You know what? And I believe him. I believe that he's going to be successful over there. <laughs> he is going to do just fine in Hong Kong. It's But the, problem, but the thing is, it's cool. He's not bothering us anymore. 
He's their problem. Yeah, it's like, okay, this side plot is over. Now we really need to make Fival hit rock bottom for about 10 minutes. Wait, well, one second. Go back just a sec. Okay, okay. In Hong Kong, didn't they bring in cats to get rid of the mice, and then now there's no mice in Hong Kong? Oh, so maybe that's historical. Yeah, I thought that's kind of what the joke was. Or maybe, was this supposed to be before that happened or after that happened? Because either way, it would be kind of funny. Or as it happened. Yeah, or as it happened. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's how the, ca- the cats made it to Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And then uh, there is a whole island of rabbits in Japan. It's adorable. Oh, well. <laughs> it's adorable. But, and but diseases funny. everywhere. <laughs> Bunnies! Uh, wild, wild Nidoran! Uh, <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> anyway, so this is where I really got a problem with the pacing of the film. It's like, okay, bad guys defeated, Fievel or Philly single-handedly saved all of Mouse Kind in New York. He's the hero. And you're still going to push this whole orphan thing? Like, that would be the perfect time to reunite him with his family. End on a huge crescendo, wrap it up, let's go home. But no, for like 15 minutes more, Fievel is like wandering around because of some... Something, some misunderstanding. He misses his parents by like a, a, by like three feet, and then he has to go live with mean old bully orphan kids for a while, and then boom, they just find him. Yeah, I'm like, why didn't they? I mean, it wouldn't have worked out, but doesn't it seem like the island of misfit orphans is the first place you go when you're missing a kid? <laughs> thousands of them, but no, he wasn't there, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. It was know, a good little, reuniting little scene, mice. though. Were you not disturbed at all the good. fact that there's just all these like orphans living there? Uh, who cares Fievel? about them? It's Fievel that we care about. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> oh, but this is the part that I thought was really funny is they have the whole, you know, one of those Don Bluth effects is like the haze around yes. to oh. be able to signify that this is a very tender moment and you have to <laughs> pay attention. Haze. Yes, the dreamy haze of everything is all better and this is what we've all been dreaming about until this moment. So, but here's something. Where in the world is the little, like, baby? At the very beginning of this movie, they had a Dude. Baby. What? You're so right. And then in yeah, the sequel, the, the baby's, baby's there, totally too. The baby's totally gone. <laughs> it was at the babysitter the whole time. <laughs> it's like they've, they hired him. Too much. It's too hard to animate babies. <laughs> yeah, they get, uh, what accent was that? They get off the boat. That was and just Morgan's like, accent accent. <laughs> okay. All right. Your, your accent, your accentual accent. Yeah, they they get off the boat and everyone's like, uh, you know, all the opportunists are like selling their stuff and and trying to get a buck out of these immigrants. And one of them was like, uh, babysitting twenty five cents a day. <laughs> they're like, oh, sounds like a good deal because they're Italian now. And um, and so that's where the the baby went for a while. Luckily, they got her back. Him, her. It was her, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, there's plenty of Don Bluth dazzle there in the ending. You know, the tenderness. Uh huh. And then they make it so so heartwarming between Fievel and his dad, you know. But at the same time, the dad was just kind of like, he was very eager to accept that Fievel was gone. And everyone should have listened to the sister. The sister was a real hero in this film. And Fievel. Yeah, but I think about it. Would you, if your son, child, brother was lost at sea, I would have a difficult time thinking that he made it. You would. You would need, you, yeah, you would need, um, yeah, okay, you would need space, you would need time, probably in denial, you know, yeah. first, first of the five stages. <laughs> all right, all right, well, maybe I'm being too hard on it, but it just seemed kind of weird, his writing. I liked the, when they reunited with the family, but the, the, at the very end, when they're riding on the bird and talking, and I'm just like, at this point, I was ready for Tiger's it to be Tiger's going over. along, too. I was like, uh, let's just end this. It's, it, it's dragging this out. I, I thought, like, the, this last 
bit after the after being reunited sort of drew it out a bit. I thought so too. Yeah. But <laughs> well, and then you get the crazy wink of the Statue of Liberty and I'm like, "What?" I didn't see that. What? I watched Yeah, I, I winked. I rented it on Amazon. I, I, also I saw it maybe because I so did I. I don't remember the Statue of Liberty winking. Maybe because I saw it in standard definition and I missed out I, on that. I also no. saw it in standard definition. It winked. All right. Cheapos for the win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there is there a Blu-ray for American Tale? Yes, yeah. there is. Just recently came out. I'm starting to be a Blu-ray fanatic. I tell you what. Ah, oh, Blu-rays are the bomb. Or Super HD as as uh, as Hulu and uh, whatchamacallit, Netflix calls it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Super HD, Morgan. Super HD. It's more than HD. It <laughs> supersedes super. <laughs> HD. It is superb over... It is supervisor over HD. Super HD. This has been a Super HD public service announcement. <laughs> now return to your regularly scheduled podcast. So the ending was sweet, but I didn't get the whole flying thing at the end. They were like, how do we end this? Well... We'll have him fly on that bird. Give him the okay. wink and the gun. <laughs> Good job, wink kid. Wink and the gun. <laughs> yep. Isn't there a part where Fievel and his sister turn around and, like, wave to the camera at the end? No, I thought they waved at the statue. or They just acknowledged that they both saw the statue. Wink. Oh, okay. That was it. Okay. I got to go back and watch that whole statue scene again. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what did we think about this? What are we rating it? Or is there something that you would change about this to make it better? I I think I've criticized the film enough uh, to where I can't make any suggestions for Don Bluth. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little long at parts. It was just disjointed in a lot of areas. And it, it, was, it wasn't as good as Secret of Him. Let's just say that. But they did a good job at kind of bringing in the realness of the time period and i felt like it was good i give it three stars can't go any much much higher but that's where i'm gonna give it like just as much effort as he puts into it and the story itself was good and there was a you know a bit of a heartwarming moment there with the fogginess around the silhouettes as they reunite and everything um but it was good I'm going to give this three stars as well. Um, I wasn't really enamored with this movie, and now I kind of know why I didn't watch it that much growing up. It just, it was cool, and I enjoyed I enjoyed myself as I was watching this, and I liked the narrative. I liked the different pacing that they did with this, and, the, you know, the characters. that We, we met a lot of characters, which mm-hmm. can be overwhelming, but I thought it was kind of cool, because it, it was totally like the day in the life of a lost kid. <laughs> and... Um, like Chelsea said, I liked the cultural references and the the throw the references to actual historical events, and I thought it was was very well done. Um, but it just it to me wasn't a masterpiece. It wasn't something that was just like super engaging. While it was interesting, um, I just give it three stars. All right, all right, all right. Don't hate on me. I'm gonna give it two and a half stars. Like Morgan said, I don't really consider American Tale a masterpiece, but it does have some good points. Like you can always count on Don Bluth to make a family-oriented film, and that's really cool. And um, you know, it's got the strong emphasis on you know on uh, you know finding your family, you know finding your dream, and then the the excellent you know the the classic production quality of a Don Bluth film, having all that effort go into the animation and the design and the Don Bluth dazzle, you know, his, his little effects that he made. I really like it for that. Uh, I just had, I had a lot of problems with, um, I guess the structure of the, of the story, I guess the plot. And uh, it just seemed like it kind of raced from one situation to another 
it was cool that it included all of this, but it didn't spend enough time on each one. Uh, I guess the part that surprised me the most was his like instant escape from the like workhouse for the yeah. orphans when he runs into a warranty rat. I mean, he literally got out after five minutes. So it kind of lost its impact, although the general impact of the film and his character arc is that he goes through all these dangerous situations and somehow gets out of them. And so um, it's, this is a film that has all the classic ingredients of a Don Bluth film. I, it's just, uh, it's just the, the whole thing just didn't click together. Like, like I expected it to, I guess. And um, I don't know. I think a big difference was that in my rating was that I didn't grow up watching this. So I don't have that nostalgia handicap as it were for this film. And that nostalgia adds a lot. Well, I wonder if people who, who have seen it for the first time now have the same love for it as people who grew up watching it. Uh-huh. My hypothesis is that they don't. No, I don't think they would. My hypothesis is anyone who <laughs> doesn't grow up watching a movie doesn't have the same affinity. It's true. <laughs> Unless yes. it's my little pony. That is just a cultural phenomenon that I will never wrap my head around. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, New My Little Pony is awesome. The old, the old My Little Pony I got to review. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What were they on? I am <laughs> struggling to even get through one episode. It is so bad. So what is worse? Old My, so what is, what is worse? Old My Little Pony or Old Care Bears? Ooh. I, haven't seen Care Bears to compare, but uh, I don't think fran- probably just as bad. I don't think anything can top this. How bad this My Little Pony show is? Were the they original. competing franchises? Yeah, I were. Yeah, one was. Anyways, we, we should do. Voice we need now. to do '80s and '90s cartoons after this for a nerdy couch discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, this is America, the place to find the hope. If you give up, you will never find your family. So, never. Say never, say never, say never, whatever you do, never say Okay, so we're moving on to our mailbag. Our first one is a review of An American Tale by Joshua Kay. He says, An American Tale, the movie that gave us Jewish mice and a questionable sequel idea. Though I have not seen the movie yet, I still hear it's good. What? You're reviewing a movie you haven't heard, haven't seen. So not I legitimate. <laughs> so I barely anything to talk about, but I heard it's one of his best. I actually think I saw the sequel. That's right. I haven't seen the first one, but I think I saw the sequel. Anyway, I don't have any rating at this time, but I heard it's good. Anyways, just wanted to waste your time with stuff from someone who hasn't seen the movie. Also, I have a question for you. Would you consider a robot or toy series soon? Think about it. You haven't done the finale of Toy Story yet. Anyways, Oops. I'm out. And you guys rule. Joshua K. Oh, thank you, Joshua. And you did an impeccable job wasting our time uh, with someone who hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, you make bring up a good point. The the Jewish mice thing is funny, and then questionable sequel idea. I think it's questionable because it's so different. But at the same time, it's still this kind of immigration story, you know, finding freedom. I'm a big uh, proponent of the West. So robot or toy series. So that way we could see the movie Robots. That was uh, Blue Sky. Yeah. And uh, a toy series. I hope you're not meaning small soldiers because that movie was terrible. Ooh. No gracias. (laughs) No bueno. Yeah, but you bring up a good point, Joshua. Uh, We definitely need to do Toy Story 3. I, I'm pretty sure we have writers who are like chomping at the bits for a taste of that episode. In fact, I, th- I can think of about eight of our writers who would like to be on that episode. We should just have a mega episode <laughs> for Toy Story 3 where there's yeah. like 16 people just talking at once. <laughs> oh. Everyone talking over each other. Uh, 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 <laughs> chaos. I love it. 
Here's a piece of mail from Sarah. She says, "Hello, Rotoscopers. I'm excited that you guys are doing an American Tale because it was one of my favorite movies growing up."、Mm-hmm. I just want to share this video I found on YouTube. It's a music video of an American Tale featuring the Michael Bolton version of "Go the Distance" from Hercules. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool.、Mash-up. It's actually really creative. It's de- yeah, it's a mashup, man. Fievel can go the distance. <laughs> And he, does, but he does go. He does go the distance. Yeah, that's really cool, Sarah. I want to see more mashups like that. All right, our next one is from Dan, Dan Ciciliano, as he says, "Hey, Rotoscopers, Dan here. Just listened to the podcast episode which focuses on the Great Mouse Detective and heard about many of the animated mice and rats that you thought of. But no offense, you seem to be missing a few mice and rats. Actually, four rats and one mouse. Let's start with the rats." <laughs> Here we're being schooled. That's <laughs> how we roll. Two of them are from Chicken Run, Nick and Fetcher. You know those two scrounger rats who want to get eggs and payments for every time that they steal a tool from the chickens. These guys are so funny and underrated. And I quote: "In the quiet, likely event of an emergency, put your head between your knees and kiss your bum goodbye." LOL. And there's Ratty from、uh, the Adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad. You know the water rat from Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows. Ratty and Molly, Toad's pair of friends. Now Ratty doesn't have the tail if you've seen the film, but he has a look of this combination of a rat and I think a chipmunk. I think stuffy, but quite a fine fellow. Well, good. <laughs> and the fourth rat is the creepy rat before Rattigan, the rat from Lady and the Tramp. He doesn't have a voice in this film, and nor does he have a name. But he is quite disturbing and creepy, especially in the end. And his size makes me feel that the rat must be this beaver evil twin brother. He and the movie makes me and the baby cry. Now the mouse. Now the mouse. I have to mention is from Disney's featurette that I grew up with, and I think has never heard before. But Ben and me. It centers around Amos Mouse, who has written. Documents that he was responsible for the idea that made Benjamin Franklin famous. I think I have seen that one. If you've seen the film, you might see some of the comparisons to other Disney films. Amos looks like one of the mice from Cinderella, and the rest of the human characters, especially Ben, look exactly like the human characters from Peter Pan. Ben actually looks more like Mr. Smee, if you know what I mean. Amos also was the voice of Sterling Holloway, the man behind Winnie the Pooh, and another animated mouse, Rothford from the Aristocats. Well, that's all I got to say, and I can't wait for more episodes involving mice and rats. Cheers, Dan Siciliano. Thanks, Dan. All right, and our next one is from the Netherlands. Says, "Hey guys, listener from the Netherlands here. I've been completely addicted to podcasts recently, and since I love animation, I'm glad I found yours a while back. I have lots of artist friends online, but sadly, most of them live far away. So listening to your podcast feels a bit like hanging out and chatting about things I like. So thank you for sharing your joy with the rest of us. I was just listening to your episode about the Great Mouse Detective, and actually got up out of bed to type this before I'd forget." Yes, that's awesome. Which happens to be one of my all-time favorite movies. The funny thing is that being 24, I grew up with this character, but I didn't actually see the movie until 2007. I don't know if you guys were aware, but here in Europe, Disney comics are still hugely popular, and Basil happens to be one of the characters about whom comics still get published in the Netherlands to this day. Your talk about how the movie has an open-ended open ending reminded me of these stories. Basil is. 
not one of the most popular characters here, but according to Index, a database of all Disney comics ever created, a must-see if you're into that kind of stuff, here's the link, he appeared in 96 comics to date, of which the majority are shorter comics that have been written and published in the Netherlands. Several years ago, I scanned a bunch of these comics, so I've attached them in a link at the bottom of the mail. I'm sorry they're in Dutch, but they're really fun to look at just for the art alone. Since I'm talking about Disney Dutch comics anyway, you might find it interesting that aside from the obvious characters, Donald and Scrooge, some of the most popular characters here are Br'er Rabbit, the Big Bad Wolf, Bucky Bug, Panchito, and Little Hiawatha. He has appeared in well over 600 comics, of which 300 to 400 were made in the Netherlands. I always love seeing how each country has their own popular characters, and since Disney comics are sadly not being made anymore in the States, I thought this would be an interesting discussion for people who enjoy the movies which these characters originated from. Don't even get me started on the popularity of Donald Duck in countries like Italy. The Netherlands, and especially Scandinavia. Anyway, I'll stop my attempt at not so subtly changing the subject from animation to comics. I'm looking forward to the upcoming podcast and the big backlog I still get to listen to. Greetings, Heinrich. Hey, well, danke Heinrich. I had no idea that uh, Disney comics were so big over there. Neither did I. And that little Hiawatha is so big over there. Yeah, that was the one that like, I was like, really? <laughs> so I'll include that link in the show notes so you guys can check out some of those Dutch comics. There's really ton of them, and they're really, really, really cool. So definitely yeah. check them out. And the art, like Heinrich said, is awesome. Hi, guys. It's Gemma. Um, I've been suffering from a cold bluey kind of thing for about three weeks now, which is why my voice is weird, but I thought I had to do a voicemail for an American tale. I was really excited about it, but now I think about it, I don't know why I liked this film so much. Uh, it's not amazing. It's quite dark, quite morbid. It can sometimes be a little cloying with its sentimental moments, but I'm just really attached to it. I've loved it since I was a kid, and probably more when I was a teenager. Um, it might be because it's not afraid to be dark. It's not afraid to be morbid. It's not afraid to have a whole scene with the main character, you know, moping around feeling sorry for himself over some classical music. <laughs> so um, I guess I admire it for that. Oh, who am I kidding? Let me get to the two things that I love the most about this film uh, that have stayed with me for this long. Uh, the first is Tony. Tony, don't call me. <laughs> He is on screen for a total amount of about five minutes, and I love every second, and I don't know why. I love Tony so much. He is hands down one of my favorite supporting characters in any animated film ever, and I don't know why. I love him so much. (laughs) And the other thing I love is Somewhere Out There, of course. Uh, It is in my top five favorite songs of all time, and being so into music and loving a lot of songs pretty damn special to me. Um, so those are the two things I love about it, but in the end, overall, I guess I don't like it as much as I did before. Maybe I do. Oh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. And I must ask before I go, uh, will you be putting the Mice and Matt series on hold to do an episode on Big Hero 6? Uh, not like I'll be able to listen to it. It's not released until January here, so I have to hide from the internet for two months. <laughs> and um, I know you haven't been doing crazy coverage on it, like Frozen last year, but it's Disney. So could do a big Disney podcast again. But um, it's your choice anyway. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Uh, keep up the fantastic job, guys. Wow, Gemma. 
Um, I'm really glad that you're such a big fan of Tony. I mean, we kind of gave him a hard time during this whole thing, but um, the fact that he has some follower fans out there makes me really happy. And then also, um, to answer your question about the Big Hero 6, unfortunately, we will not be doing an episode devoted to Big Hero 6 as of yet. We're not exactly sure when we will do one, but I'm sure we will because we all loved it. So definitely, that's going to be on our list of movies to talk about at some point. We just don't know when. This one is from Hannah, and she says, Hey, Rotoscopers. I'm an animation student who found your site a couple months ago. I love the show, and I love that it allows me to add animation to the non-animation parts of my day, namely my job. I just listened to your podcast about The Great Mouse Detective. A few years back, a couple of friends and I were talking about this movie and how much we loved the song, Let Me Be Good to You. So we looked it up on YouTube and watched it again. Well, we were a little shocked at how blatantly suggestive it was. I've got to admit, though, it's still a catchy song. I'm excited that you are reviewing an American Tale. Good movie. I always love quoting the rich lady mouse when she says, We wish the secret weapon. And I cannot wait for the Ratatouille podcast. I can't pinpoint why, but that's probably my favorite Pixar movie. Also, I agree that you should have a special space-themed group of podcasts because I want you to do Titan AE. Until then, I still have 60-plus podcasts to tide me over. Thank you for making these, Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. All right. Last but certainly not least, this uh, last piece of mail is from... Our very good fan and friend, Drew, he says, Hey, Rotoscopers, my name is Drew. I'm 13 years old and I live in Utah. I'm also a fairly new fan of your podcast. I like to listen to episodes while I draw, paint, or animate things of my own. Great job and keep up the good work. Hey, thanks, Drew. Nice. Awesome. Drew, if you're listening to this, then you should show us some of the stuff that you draw or paint or animate. That'd be cool. I can tell we got an awful lot in common. Even though we look as different as can be, we don't even have to try to see things eye to eye. It just comes to us naturally. Come to think of it, I think... All right, thank you guys for sending in those emails. We love when people send emails so we can hear other fans and animation addicts just like us. So if you have an email you want to send us to talk about a future movie that we're doing, maybe you have a favorite mouse from animation or rat... Um, or just to talk about things that we've mentioned in the past, send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com. What a great episode. This was awesome, guys. I yeah, um, it. we've officially finished the Amblimation movies. Besides five, will go, besides, five Will Goes West. Oh, yes. There's actually that. a couple more if you're going to be counting the sequels to this. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, there yeah, there's like, like, there's a there's Manhattan like treasure, one. Treasure of Manhattan Island. <laughs> Let me guess. There's a character who shows, like, long-drawn silver. Well, there was an American Tales uh, cartoon series. And then there's a Back to the Future animated series that um, Amblimation produced. But, you know, for the sake of the podcast, I think we're done. (laughs) Another Don Bluth episode in our Don Bluth tool belt. Mm -hmm. And, um, boy, we really love those Don Bluth films. We don't have very many But they're so so polarizing, though, you know? Yeah. It's like we love them. Ones. We love them, but we yeah, we love them, but we're also we also have a lot to say about what went wrong. Anyway, so if you're on social media and you want to tweet about this episode, be sure to use the hashtag #AnimAddicts and specifically to talk about this episode and your thoughts on An American Tale. 
hashtag animatics78. And to for show notes for this episode, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash 78. That's where you can find all the links, all the show notes, uh, all the fun goodies that you can't, you know, get through the airwaves. So definitely go check that out and be sure to comment down below. So that is where we congregate and all the hosts go and we talk about the episode and other people go and they give their thoughts on the episode. And, and is, and is there like a specific question that we want people to discuss? Like, just give me your thoughts what, on what, if this is one of your favorite Don Bluth films, why or why not? I think that'd be kind of interesting and how this relates to your nostalgia facts. That's been one of my favorite things recently is people go and they say different things from their childhood and their memories yeah. um, about the film. So in our... Okay. So yeah. How about this? How about this? When you when you hear this, when this episode is released, if you liked American the American Tale, um, but you this is but you you did not grow up watching this, so you don't have the nostalgia factor, but you love the film anyway, then let us know, um, you know, at Rotoscopers, and use the hashtag AnimAddicts, because um, I want to meet you people. Are there hardcore fans of this movie that did not grow up watching it and don't have the nostalgia factor? Is what I'm looking for. Sounds good. You can also catch the podcast on Hypeable and Animated Views. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That's one way the more subscribers we have, more people are able to find it because it shows that, hey, to iTunes, hey, this is actually a pretty credible site. We're popular. They're cool. So we get some rankings. And we also, if you leave a comment or a review, that's another way to show your support for the show. Really easy, free. Just give us your thoughts. And that way other people who are maybe on the fence about the show can see your amazing review and say, you know what? I'm going to try that out. And they're going to be hooked for life. That's our plan, at least. You can also find us on Stitcher Radio. Again, for emails, you send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com or voicemail. We love hearing your voices. So send an, a voicemail to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails, or you can call in on your phone at 406-646-6575. Voicemails are awesome. Voicemails are amazing. You can also support the show by going to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. That's our affiliate link. So any shopping that you have to do, the Christmas season is coming and use our link and we appreciate it so, so much. And yeah. uh, if you're interested in listening to audiobooks, go to rotoscopers.com slash audible and you can get a free book there. Very cool stuff. And, of course, the very best way of supporting the show is the Rotoscopers t-shirt. You can go to rotoscopers.com slash store, and you can buy your own t-shirt there. So lots of good, good stuff. Morgan's yeah, just been totally. rattling through these. Man, she's good. Yeah. Well, the Roto, <laughs> the Roto shirt is amazing. It is. I have. We all have our Roto, Roto shirts, and they're super comfy, and they're, like, really well made. And I just love mine. I wear it all the time. Do you wear it to, to school? Yeah, well, I wear it to sleep. And then I don't shower and then I wear it to school. <laughs> and then people like look at me funny because I'm all disheveled. I'm like, oh, I see you're looking at my Rotoscopers t-shirt. And they're like, no, I'm just looking at how disheveled and, and unkempt you are. Hey, I'm like, well, I'll not, tell you about the Roto shirt. You are not giving a very good view of the Rotoscopers. Oh, shame. man. Do I need to, do I need to clean shame. my act up? Clean up uh, your act, dude. All right. Jeez. Sorry, Chelsea. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with any of us, you can head on over to Twitter. Morgan's there. You can, you can check out Morgan Straddling on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Chelsea Robson, and of course Mason, Mason SMTX. You can also check out his portfolio at MasonSmithPortfolio.com. Yeah, um, I'm going to post a gallery of my Inktober stuff. I've seen and then, those. Those are cool. Ah, shucks. And then, uh, oh, also my my derelict animation blog, ThisAnimatedLife.blogspot.com. I, I wrote a few um, 
uh, a couple of weeks back, some of our Twitter followers suggested some movies, animated movies I should watch because I hadn't seen them yet. And so I, I watched them and then I wrote uh, little mini reviews, just my thoughts on the films. And so uh, it's, it's, it's starting to cultivate, starting to come together. So, yeah. Also, our next episode, I know we kind of broke the mold with last episode and we had a surprise Halloween episode, but we just couldn't help ourselves. But now we're back on track with our Mice and Rats series. So our next one is actually going to be Pixar's Ratatouille. Chelsea's dream, mice in the kitchen. France rat. <laughs> also known as France rat too, Mason. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Or until next time. We are the Roastovers. We should, re- we should rename the podcast to Bluth's Buttes. Bluth's Buttes. Awesome. Because like we're all beautiful. Beauties. Yeah. Bob's Beauties. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Mason, did you know that I actually calculated it and made it work out so that my senior year, I wouldn't have to start school until after Price is Right? Really? Yep. I didn't know you were such a fan. Every day I watch Price is Right. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you feel about Drew Carey? Meh. I wasn't a fan. Oh, well. Anyway. I just like watching people's reactions on that show. Yeah. I, I actually yodeled for Bob Barker. Little <laughs> That's crazy. Anyway, back to the show. We need yeah, to that'll just be, have that'll a, be cut. <laughs> we need to, yeah, we, we need an episode where all we do is talk about all the cool things that Chelsea's done. <laughs> Met Alice Cooper. Uh, the What you just said about yodeling. Knowing how to yodel for that matter. <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I've been talking this whole time, and um, Mason totally interrupted me, and I was like, uh, delay? Rude. Not again. <laughs> uh, and of course, again, I was, I was about, on mute. about to get another demerit. <laughs> That's where, you know, usually we all go, and we, we kind of conglomerate there, so we can... Conglomerate? What? Is that even a word? Um, congregate. Collaborate? Congregate? <laughs> congregate. A conglomeration is a oh, gathering here. of... I mean, it's like all the things within it. Yeah. A you're a mark, you're a mark, you're a business major. You should know what a conglomerate is. <laughs> I know what a conglomerate is, but to, to conglomerate in the term of, uh, oh, was, as a verb or yeah, instead of a, a noun? I oh, verbed that's, it. That's a <laughs> I verbed that. I'll try this again. All right. Let's end this. I'm tired and I want to watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> Telling it like it is.